Welcome to the North Star Broadcast. I'm your host, Christine Bergstrom. I'm a certified clinical hypnotherapist and breathwork facilitator with an immense love and passion for all things related to spirit, consciousness, and the path of the awakening. On this podcast, we'll be exploring all of this and more through sharing spiritually transformative, out-of-body, and near-death experiences. We will learn and grow together through inspiring conversation. Thank you for being here. Hello, everyone, and welcome. On today's show, we'll be speaking with Sylvia. She's a clairvoyant, a QHHT practitioner, and a three-time near-death experiencer. She has an incredible story to share with us today. So welcome, Sylvia. Hi, thank you for having me. Yes, I'm so happy to have you here. So I'm really just going to kind of turn it over to you, have you pick up wherever you feel is relevant related to your awakening and your near-death experiences, and then we'll kind of uh, meet up at the end and, and share some questions. Great. Sounds good. So I'm from Chicago. I grew up in, uh, I'm Mexican-American. I grew up in a very abusive, toxic household, which um, sometimes does happen in that culture. And my father was an alcoholic. My mother was very um, submissive to him. And in that culture, we are trained, or at least my experience from what I've uh, what I grew up in is my mother trained me that my father and men, the authority are to be catered to. They're the boss. They make the rules. They get served first. We serve them and women should be quiet and submissive and subservient. And so that's how I was raised. That's how I saw my mother act with my father. And even though my mom was smarter than my dad, uh, he didn't let her work. He was very controlling, uh, you know, abusive in every sense of the word, uh, sexually abusive, mentally, emotionally, financially. He would control the money. He would give her very little money, but then at the same time, didn't let her work because he was trying to control everything. And uh, we weren't allowed to have friends. I couldn't paint my nails. I couldn't um, bring friends to the house. So it was very controlled, very abusive. And I think that's because, I mean, abusers tend to do that. They want to keep you, you know, limited and uh, so that you don't know anything bad is happening to you. So you think, oh, this is normal. This is this is how everybody is. But it wasn't. And I didn't know that. And so uh, he was sexually abusing me and my sisters. I'm the oldest of four. And so I, being the oldest, got the youngest version of my mom, the youngest version of my dad. Uh, my mom had me when she was 21 and uh, my dad was in his early 20s too. So really young and like full of anger and rage and whatever happened to them, they took it out on me, right? That's the toxic cycle of abuse. And uh, so from zero to nine years old, there was a lot of sexual abuse, physical abuse from my mom and my dad. But for the most part, I still got to be a kid. And I say that because I had no responsibilities. So I got to play outside. I got, you know, just be a kid, but I was still getting abused. And uh, I remember even at, at the earliest age of like two or three, I remember having psychic abilities, but I didn't know what it was. 
and it scared me. I could see demons. I could see demons on my dad. I could see demons on my mom. I saw them mostly on him. And I think that's because of the drug abuse and alcohol abuse. And, and then violence invites that energy too. So it was a lot of chaos. And I could see them running all over the house. Uh, especially at night, I could see them in the living room. And me and my sister had bunk beds. So I slept on the top, top bunk bed. She slept on the bottom and I could see them taunting me in the living room and I had to go to the bathroom and I would see the demons and I would think, no way, I'm not going in there because they're there. And sometimes I would wet my bed because I was so terrified to go to the bathroom because they were waiting for me. And I remember my mom would spank me because I would wet the bed and I would tell her about the demons, but she she would tell me, stop lying, stop making stories like that's not true. And when she would spank me, they would jump up and down. They were so happy because they were creating more chaos. So it was like chaos goblins. And then uh, they would push me off my bunk bed. I remember being a little kid, three years old, four years old, and they would push me off the bunk bed. I would fall on the floor. I would bleed. I would make a bunch of noise because I would fall off the top bunk bed. And my parents would race in, spank me again, because why are you playing? And I'm like, I'm not playing. The demons pushed me. They did not believe me. And so that went on from zero to eight. Uh, at nine years old, uh, my mom, psychically, I didn't know that I could read her thoughts. I, well, I could read people's thoughts. I could read their emotions. But I couldn't tell if they were mine or if they were theirs. I was just receiving information. I think there's a lot of people that can do that. My daughter can do it, too. And I think there's a lot of us that can do it, but don't know because nobody talks about it. So uh, I feel like it's important for me to share my experience, hoping that it'll help somebody so that you don't think you're crazy. And so that, you know, these are gifts, but when we don't know how to use them, it's like giving a three-year-old a machine gun, like that's some scary stuff because you can't tell, and then you become your own enemy. And so at the time, I didn't know I was doing this, but I psychically picked up that my mother was going to divorce my father. And I remember thinking, oh, finally, we're going to be free. We're going to get away from him and we're going to be safe. And so she had him served with divorce papers. So I started seeing, oh, what I picked up mentally was manifesting in, in the world so that I was right. So I was seeing validation of what I was getting before it happened. So I was starting to learn, even though I didn't completely understand. So then I hear my mom having a conversation with her friend and she's telling her I had him serve with divorce papers, but I just found out I'm pregnant with twins. So back then in the early 80s, uh, she thought, and then especially being in a Mexican American culture, like it, it's very old school. And, uh, you know, they, they don't believe in divorce. They don't believe in um, women working or, or, you know, women being equal to men. And so I think she was very frightened to be on her own. And she thought, well, how the hell am I going to be with four kids? Because now it's me, my sister, and now twins. And I think she felt very overwhelmed because she didn't go to school. She didn't have a job. He didn't let her work. So like a lot of time had gone by with no skills of her own. And I think she just felt very trapped. And so she called off the divorce. My dad, of course, was thrilled. And he promised that he was going to change. And uh, supposedly she claims that she didn't know about the abuse, but psychically I know that she did. But I think it overwhelmed her. 
and she couldn't handle it. And so she chose to look away. So she never intervened. She never uh, saved us. And, and we felt alone, like we're fending for ourselves. And so it was like the illusion of parents because yeah, you have a mom and a dad. And like, there's a lot of kids that don't have a dad. They don't have a mom and like, oh, you're so lucky, but really, no, I live with the abusers. So it's safer out there than it is in here with them. And like, uh, so it, it being the reverse and, and people envying me for something that I didn't have. And that was very bizarre. So she stays with him. She has the twins and she becomes catatonic. So she like goes crazy and she doesn't speak for a year. She doesn't uh, do anything. She's just sitting there and it's like she left her body and she had the twins. And I remember my dad being super drunk, sitting me and my sister down. I was nine years old. The twins were just born. And he says, mommy's sick and you have to help me. So this is your baby. You get a twin and you get a twin and a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old. I don't know what the hell we're doing. And we had never done any chores, nothing because my mom did everything. And so all of a sudden at nine years old, I became a mom and I had, since I was the oldest, more responsibility. I had to cook. I had to clean. I had to wash clothes. I had to uh, wash dishes and I didn't know how to do any of it. I made a mess. I would get spanked because of the mess. And uh, it was very much like sink or swim and like very chaotic and like he didn't know what he was doing, but my mom was mentally checked out so she couldn't help. So it was all on us. And so uh, that nightmare began. So from nine to, to about, it lasted for about a year. So till I turned 10, then she started slowly coming back and then uh, other abuse would uh, continue. And uh, now we we had more chores and it was uh, harder. It feels like all the levels of, of abuse, uh, like they would escalate, the, the volume would get turned up as, as I grew up. And so at 12, uh, the uh, summer that changed my life, it was uh, the beginning of summer vacation and I was 12 years old and uh, do you remember those 900 numbers? There was these 1-900 numbers that you would call and they would charge you like $3.99 a minute or something. And they were brand new in the 80s. And so there was uh, my cousin who's the same age as me calls me and says, call this number. And so I called the number and it was a sex hotline and it was a woman moaning. It was just a recording. And, but they charged you $3.99 a minute. So I called the number and I have the bright idea to call everybody in the neighborhood, all the kids to come to my house and call this 1-900 number. And we're just listening to, to the recording and laughing while I racked up a big phone bill. And my mom first didn't notice because my dad would routinely call Mexico and to call long distance was a lot back then. So she just thought, oh, he called Mexico. And like, that's why the phone bill's big. And my aunt calls her because she catches my my cousin calling the number while well, my cousin lies to her and tells her that I gave her the number. So I get in trouble with my mom because my mom doesn't listen to me. She listens to my aunt and my cousin. And so she spanks me and she says, wait till your dad gets home. And I think, well, what the hell is he going to do to me? Like you guys beat me all the time. I'm constantly getting raped and like, what else are you going to do to me? So I was terrified. So she makes me wait for my dad. And, and this is all like uh, on summer vacation. So I'm just sitting up all night waiting for him, freshly beaten by her. 
he comes home, beats the crap out of me, and they throw me away. Basically, uh, I am now locked in the attic. In the attic, there was no no uh no ac no heater it was like being in the wilderness uh it was really dirty up there and they gave me a bucket to go to the bathroom in and i had to stay there and so i was locked there i didn't know what i did they didn't talk to me it was just a lot of shame and he would just like yell at me of say i can't even look at you i can't believe that you called that number like what's wrong with you but the whole time he's raping me and my sisters and like 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 the the cognitive dissonance of like a 12-year-old kid trying to understand, but what did I do? I called the number, but what did I do? Like, what does that mean? Because I didn't even know what sex was. And so uh, being in the attic by myself for days and days and months and months. And then finally, I, I feel like after, because, you know, it's kind of, it, it's you're essentially in prison. And it's like solitary confinement because there's nothing. It's just you. And it's dark and it's scary. And uh, for a kid, five minutes feels eternal. And so I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what time it was. And it was summer vacation. There was a teeny tiny little window that I could look out of and I could see my friends play because it was summertime. And like summertime in Chicago, are you kidding me? Everybody's outside because usually it's freezing and you can't. So when it's summer, oh, the city comes to life and everybody's outside. And I desperately wanted to be outside and I couldn't. And I didn't know why. And so I remember ever since I was a kid, I have always had a very strong connection to God. Uh, and I was forced to go to catechism. My, my parents were Catholic. And so I remember having arguments with the nuns that taught catechism of like, well, why? That's not true. And like arguing with them about facts, because I would say, well, God doesn't care if you go to a building on a Sunday and put money in the plate. That's ridiculous. God's everywhere. Like, why are you lying? And and then getting spanked at home because I'm questioning authority and like, just be quiet and do your catechism and like follow the rules and you'll be fine. And so I would you know, learn to shut down, to be mute. And, and like being mute was rewarded. Being quiet was rewarded. Not stirring the pot was rewarded. And so uh, having gone with like all the experiences of of living, witnessing the, the darkness in the world personally, privately, you know, a lot of people can say, oh, that's ridiculous. Those are just stories. Well, when you've lived it and you're a child and, and like you battled it out as a three-year-old, like, you know, different. And so then I just um, would keep things to myself because when I did tell them, they didn't believe me. So I I already knew, oh, it's just me and God. Like, that's it. Like, don't don't expect anything else. And so I remember having a crisis of faith in the attic at 12 and planning my suicide. I don't even know how the hell I knew what to do because I had never known anybody that died. There was no internet. It was the early 80s. Uh, there was, I didn't know anybody uh that that had planned any of this i hadn't watched watched anything on tv or anything so i i felt like i was 100 years old as a kid already and so i took a uh, a thousand pills that my dad had my dad had arthritis and he had a huge costco sized bottle of tylenol for his arthritis and i took the whole thing 
And I remember screaming at God saying, why did you leave me alone with these people? They don't love me. I like you abandoned me. Where are you? And being so angry and saying like, I give up. I'm not staying here with them. And, uh, you can't make me stay. And like just having this, this huge battle of faith. And so, um, I took the pills. I knocked out. I don't know how long I was out for because I couldn't tell time. There was no time. There was no calendars. And I came back in another timeline and I didn't know anything about timelines at the time. But as I, you know, we live life forward, we understand it backwards, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So as I look back, I, I recognize, oh, I jumped timelines. So because when I came back, when I came to, I remember being so angry. And that's the part that would confuse me initially when I would wake up in a new timeline. And it would like give me the illusion that I'm just crazy because I had full recollection of the previous timeline, but yet my reality was new. And now I know I carry the memory because you know how they say ignorance is bliss. Well, if you don't know any better, it's bliss. But when you know, that's what makes it hard. And so I had the recollection of the old timeline, but I'm waking up in this new timeline. And to me, I'm thinking, oh, I'm still alive. I didn't die, but I did die. I died in that timeline. I woke up in a new timeline. And the reason I say that is because my mother let me out. So my mother lets me out and she she tells me, go take a shower and get dressed. And I'm thinking, oh, I get to take a shower. I get to go outside and I'm so excited. Come to find out it's my birthday. I didn't even know it was my birthday. And so I, I get dressed and she says, I need you to go across the street and translate for the Spanish, her Spanish speaking friend that didn't speak English for her landlord. And uh, so I went across the street and she lived on uh, the, the third story of an apartment building. And I loved to sit on banisters when I was a kid and I would slide down them. I wasn't afraid of heights. And so I went to sit on the banister and I fell 30 feet. And so I died. I woke up in another timeline and I died again. I fell 30 feet. I scraped my back against the building next door. I landed in dirt. Thank God I didn't land in concrete, but I was bleeding from my ears, my nose, my mouth from just everywhere, just covered in blood, laying on the ground. I had just turned 13, the goddess number, and I had just gotten my period. Everything happened at the same time. I fell, I died bleeding <laughs> from every orifice and got my period, turned 13, and they're resuscitating me in the ambulance, and they take me to the hospital where I have six-hour brain surgery. So uh, I die at the hospital again, and then I they bring me back, and my mom's calling all the family everywhere, telling them Sylvia died, and then I come back, and I jump timelines again, and everything was different. So when I come to in the ICU, uh, my mom is afraid of me. She won't look me in the eye. And my dad is afraid of me. He won't look me in the eye. And I'm thinking, because I still have recollection of the old timeline. I'm thinking, why are they acting like that? Why are they? And so no more beatings, no more sexual abuse. And now they're afraid of me. And I'm thinking, whoa, that's weird. And I noticed the shift, but I had nobody to talk to and I didn't understand it. And so I'm thinking, 
I, I felt like a, a divine feminine aspect walk-in come in because it was me, but bigger and more. And uh, I think they were afraid of that aspect. And so my father avoided me. My mother avoided me. And this went on for years. And so it was a permanent change in that timeline. And so my eye color changed. My eyes became darker. My hair color changed. It used to be blonde. It came in dark brown. And uh, that was super weird. So complete change in personality, in eye color, hair color, the way my parents treated me, where it was like all the way one way and not now it's another way. So it, it, like visceral changes that you can see. And, and it was just so shocking. And every day I thought, oh, well, they're going to beat me again today. And they didn't. It just stopped. And with no talking about it, no nothing, but I knew. And I mean, I couldn't explain it. And so time went on. Uh, at 15 years old, I in high school, I meet this boy, my first boyfriend, my first everything. And we start dating. And uh, before this, uh, I had only known my dad, who was extremely abusive, no affection, just mean and uh, sexual abuse. So I didn't I had never experienced a guy be nice to me. And this kid, he was my age. He was so nice to me. He treated me like a princess. He bought me presents. He told me he loved me. And I thought, finally, this is what love is. I'm in love. And we dated all through high school and uh, we graduated high school and we went on to the same college and I tricked my dad. I, I started sending letters to myself, to my home address. I would type them at school, mail them to myself. I don't even know how I came up with this. And I would start telling uh, my parents that through the letters that my school was moving and I mean, my dad's a Mexican immigrant. He He's not, uh, he's, he only went as far as seventh grade. And so he doesn't have an education. So it was easy for me to fool him. And because it was an official paper and like typed, he thought, oh, it's real. It's from the school. And so I said, my school's moving. And I started uh, telling him to send the tuition checks to a PO box that I had opened Mind you, I'm 18 years old. I don't even know how, how I came up with this, but I started scamming him and he thought he was paying my tuition, but he was sending me checks and I got my own apartment and I told him I was living at the dorms. He believed me. I was in an apartment with my boyfriend that I had met when I was 15. I thought I am running away. I'm getting away from the abuse. Now I'm going to be living with my best friend and it's and and like somebody that actually loves me. And I'm safe. And I felt like I had arrived, like I, I figured it out. And well, come to find out, all of a sudden, my boyfriend, who was amazing, became completely psycho violent. He started beating the crap out of me. He, uh, it was just every abuse imaginable. It was horrible. He couldn't find a job. I was the only one working. I was supporting us. I would buy all the groceries me and my dad, I would have, I had a job and I went to school full time. I was paying all the bills, but for some reason I felt stuck. Like I couldn't leave. And I mean, I had nobody to talk to unbeknownst to me. I could have left whenever I wanted, but it never occurred to me that I could leave, that I had a choice, that my feelings mattered, that 
that, you know, I deserve to be treated well. I didn't know that because I had never been treated well. So, and then with no mom to talk to, I felt like I couldn't trust her because anything she would say, I wouldn't trust it because I would think, well, where the hell were you when I was a kid? So now like, no, I don't want to, you know, pretend that you're my mom because you're not acting like a mom. So I treated her like an adversary. And so uh, I planned another suicide. I was 18. Uh, I I told him because every weekend we took, you know, play the part of we're at the dorms. We would go home and visit our families and stay with our families and then come back to the apartment, to the dorms. And so I had planned a suicide where I thought, I can't take this anymore. Not again, just like my dad all over again. And so I felt like I couldn't go home because I felt like, well, where am I going to go? There's nowhere to go. If I go home, it's the same shit. If I stay here, like, no, I'm not doing this. Well, he had gotten me pregnant and he made me get an abortion. And I had to come up with the money to pay for it. I didn't know how the hell I was going to pay for it. I was already paying for everything. And now uh, he he said, you're not going to trap me. I'm not going to let you trap me well, you, you made this baby. Like, what do you mean trap you? And so all of a sudden he dumped all the responsibility on me. I had to figure out how to get rid of it. And I was already in love with this baby. As soon as I knew about the baby, I was in love with it. But I, I, I didn't know at the time that I can look down timelines and I looked down the timeline and I saw he's going to do to this baby, what he does to me. And I will not allow it. And so I had to sh shut the door on that baby and say, you can't come in here because it's not safe for you. And then I also saw if I did keep the baby, not only would he hurt the baby, but I would be tied to him forever. And so with that baby, and I did not, I was not going to allow that. And so to protect myself and the baby, I had the abortion. I, I had to lie to my dad and say that I needed some special books for for school. I was in political science. He wanted me to be a lawyer. And I said that it was for law school. I needed these books. And so he gave me the money. I got the abortion. And something changed within me after I had the abortion. I remember when I had the abortion, the nurse said, well, you're going to feel uh, uh, you know, some discomfort throughout the procedure, but the real pain is going to come eight hours later because uh, I didn't know at the time because I was a kid, but after you have a baby, your, your hormones drop. And after the drop, uh, a lot of women can develop postpartum depression. And I didn't know that. And I thought, no, no, I feel fine. I feel fine. It just feels like period cramps. I can handle this. And I was stealing myself of like, this is what I have to do. And so I did it. And eight hours later, sure enough, the hormones dropped and I completely lost it. And I got what I believe is postpartum depression. I planned another suicide. I laid a mattress in the living room and I took a bunch of pills and alcohol. And I, I was starting to feel like fuzzy in and out. Like I didn't know if I was in my body or not, like, like that, that weird state between being awake and, and dreaming, it felt like that. He had forgotten his jacket and he came in and he saw me and he was trying to wake me up. He couldn't wake me up. He calls 911 and then leaves because he doesn't want to be blamed for it. Even though the cops had been at our apartment constantly, because he was constantly beating me. And so he takes off and uh, the ambulance comes 
they're trying to revive me in the ambulance. Then I get to the hospital and I wake up in a new timeline. I They pump my stomach with charcoal. I had uh, black charcoal oozing out of every orifice, my eyes, my mouth, my tongue, between my fingers. Everything was black. The sheets were all covered in black because the, the charcoal pulls the toxicity, the drugs out. And so I had to have a psyche valve to be released from the hospital. I lied to them and I said that I was struggling in school and I couldn't handle the the brunt of the schoolwork and I had failed the final and that's why I did it and they believed me and they let me go. And when I got back to the apartment, he was there and he was afraid of me, just like my mom and dad. So he wouldn't look me in the eye. He was afraid of me. And this time at 18 years old, I felt a, a divine masculine walk-in come in. And so before where it had been a feminine aspect, this was a masculine aspect. And I felt huge. I felt enormous. And this guy towered over me. He was 5'11", 5'12", and I'm 5'2". And I started beating him. I just started hitting him and screaming at him. And like, I had never done that before. And he freaked out. Like he didn't know how to respond to me. And he just runs off to the bedroom and he closes the door and I'm in the living room and he's in the bedroom. And I think to call my mother for the first time ever, I'm just calling home. I don't even know why. So I call home, my sister answers and I just start crying. And she says, did he hit you? And I said, yes. And she says, uh, we start planning my escape that she comes with her friends to come pick me up. And I said, well, he's very violent. And he before he had threatened, if you ever leave me, I'm going to set fire to your parents' house and your little sisters are going to die. And I believed him because he would hit me. So I think oh, I have to protect them. I can't say anything. But something changed after the abortion and the walk-in where I did not care. I thought, I'll take you down with me. And so this bravery and courage became activated within me and it was a bigger part of me. So it wasn't just the old version of me, it was me amplified. And so uh, with the help of that walk-in and my sister, uh, I moved out when he was at school. I notified the apartment complex. You know, he's very violent. You might want to call the police to be on standby. There's holes in all the walls. Everything's broken because he's violent. The cops are always here. Uh, you can keep the security deposit. They let me leave. And I took all my stuff out. And as I was packing, I thought, wow, I could just leave. I didn't know that I could leave. And then I realized I'm the one paying for everything. All that stuff is mine. I pay for the food. I, every stitch of furniture was mine. And it hadn't occurred to me before that I had so much power and authority. And through that process, it showed me. And I did something that was uh, very scary for me. I, I was working at a law firm with million dollar lawyers, downtown Chicago, and I go to my bosses and I tell them what's happening because he starts stalking me. And I tell them I'm terrified of him. This is what happened. And they rally around me. They protect me. They provide security for me. They walk me to my school. They walk me to the train when I'm going home at night. They walk me back to work. So I'm never alone. I'm surrounded like the Secret Service with my coworkers. Thank God for them and they they're attorneys so they teach me how to defend myself pro se which is you are your own lawyer and they tell me what paperwork to file and i do it myself 
and I file an order of protection against him. And I'm, I'm a baby. I'm 18 years old. Everything feels so scary and big, but I have to do it because I know if I don't, I can end up dead. So I go to, I take him to court. The judge, uh, you know, screams at him and tells him, if you even think about her, I'll throw your ass in jail forever. And so he scares him. So he leaves me alone. And, uh, after that, I'm just going to skip some parts. So I do have videos of my full story. If you guys want to check them out, they're on my YouTube channel. But I'm for the sake of this interview, I'm, I'm going to skip to the next part. So my awakening, my spiritual awakening, I had always had these gifts, but uh, some of them went dormant for a while because of the line of work that I was in, too. I was in law enforcement for about 20 years. And so... To be in a job that big, some of my my abilities had to get muted a little because it was too much, too much violence, too much. And I'm very empathic. So that had to be toned way down because I would get a lot of suicide callers. I would get a lot of uh, so much death. And uh, I loved it because I was helping people. And who better than me? I had been through all the things that they were experiencing. So I knew exactly where they were coming from. And so I could put myself in their shoes. So I knew how to help them better. But at, uh, at a crucial point, um, I believe we're always constantly being initiated. And it, it's a test of who you really are. You know, we a lot of us claim to be something. But uh, when nobody's watching, are you still that person? Because it's easy to be good in you know, with an audience, when people are watching, that's very easy, because, you know, you're tap dancing for approval, you, oh, this is what they want to see, this is what a good person does. But the truth of who you really are, the true measure of a person is who you are when nobody's watching. And so unbeknownst to me, an initiation was afoot, and I didn't know. So what happened, uh, there was a lot of turnover in that job, uh, as a 911 operator, uh, it's a very small town. I'm on the border of Mexico, uh, cartel country, lots of drugs, uh, and it's boring for some people here. So all there is is, you know, alcohol getting high and um, you're either in law enforcement or you're in the cartel because there's not much else. And so it was hard for them to find people that would stay in the job and that would pass the background, that would pass the polygraph, that would pass the drug test. And so there was a lot of turnover. And at this point in my career, uh, there was only five of us and we're supposed to have 10 dispatchers. And so there was only five of us, skeleton crew, uh, working double shifts, triple shifts, uh, and on top of that, training somebody. And if you've never trained anybody, it's exhausting <laughs> because you can't do it for them. So it drains you, plus having to work overtime and all that other crap. So and then I was, I'm a mom of four kids and, and I was married at the time to a cop. And so it was a lot on my plate. I don't even know how I survived it, but my uh, initiation came when they were so desperate for people to, to fill in the spots of the other workers that they started going down their list of people that they had fired in the past that hadn't committed a crime they were just desperate for bodies. And so they were going down their list of people that had passed the polygraph and all the testing in the back in, in back in the day uh, to see if they wanted to come back. 
And so there was this girl that I had previously trained uh, that they were thinking of calling her back. And what they do when they do the background check is they ask us, hey, so-and-so is getting their background done. If you know anything about them, come forward and report it. Okay, fine. And I liked her. She uh, she was a good worker, but uh, we all have flaws. We're human. She uh, was angry and she would... Um, she couldn't contain herself when she was angry and she would like burst out in a rage. And so I noticed that about her, even though she did really well and everything else, you can't be like that as a 911 operator because lives are in your hands. Many officers were on the brink of death when I was working and because of my actions, they lived. So like one mistake, they're dead. And like one mistake, a public person calling you is dead. So to me, I thought, so what happens if somebody that you don't like calls 911? Are you not going to send them help? And her boyfriend, her ex-boyfriend was a police officer. He was a new officer. So I asked her, what are you going to do if they put you on the same shift with him, with your ex? Because there's rules if with a husband. Uh, you can't work the same shift as your husband uh, because you won't be able to handle your emotions if something happens to him. And so you're a danger. And so they make you be on opposite shifts. And so my husband was at, a, at another agency and I took my job very seriously because I thought this is somebody else's husband that I'm taking care of, somebody else's son, speaking of the officers on my squad. And I hope that the, the other dispatchers at his agency are doing that for my husband and making sure he comes home to me and our kids. And so I asked her, how are you gonna handle it working with him and she says fuck him I hope he dies I'm gonna let him die and I thought oh why did you say that now I have to do something about it because when you train someone uh you are responsible for that rookie for a year and I thought I am not gonna in good conscience I can't let you loose on him or the public like that because you can't control your anger and so I thought that is uh, a danger to society, to me. I live in the community. What if my kid calls 911 and he needs help and you're mad at me and you won't send him an ambulance? I, I don't know. And so I had to report it. I reported to my supervisor and I said, look, I don't know if this is a thing or not a thing, but I feel compelled to tell you this is what happened. So he says, oh my God, you have to say something. And then I, I deliberated with my husband because I liked her and it would benefit me if she came to work because that would mean more time at home with my kids, with my husband and sleep, which was elusive to me at the time. And so it benefited me for her to work, but in good conscience, I could not allow myself not to say something. So I went to the detective doing her background check. I reported it and I, they reacted very weird they said uh they thought I was making it up they they accused me of lying and like well maybe you misunderstood her and I'm like what like I'm wearing the same patch as you I'm I'm work with you why are you believing her over me that has 20 years on the job like what and so it was very topsy-turvy long story short they flipped it on me and they fired me uh, saying that I received the death threat on my cell phone and that that uh, violates a verbal directive that they have in the department. Basically, they were looking for an excuse 
to fire me. And so uh, that completely like flipped my world around. I, from going to that job every day, it like became my identity and I didn't know who I was anymore. And then at the same time, my marriage started falling apart. I started discovering that he was cheating on me. And uh, when I needed him the most, he abandoned me. And so all everything that I had known was just dissolving before me. And that led to my awakening. My gifts started coming back, my psychic abilities. It, it, it's like the Kundalini uh, started rising. And at the time, I didn't know that's what it was because again, not a lot of people talk about it. So when your Kundalini wakes up, it's the energy in your root chakra and it starts going up to your to awaken you in your third eye and to me the way i experienced it is you're asleep and it feels like you're being jolted with electricity it feels like you've drank 20 gallons of coffee and you can't calm down it's like you feel all the energy and it, it it's coming up and and you can't control it and so that's how i started feeling like a defibrillator electrifying me. And so I started coming online. Uh, my psychic gifts started coming online. So at this time, I'm going to refer to some notes so that I can remember the stuff that happened. So one of them was, uh, and, and, you know, we call it a dream. Uh, some things, I think our brain just labels them something for, because we don't know what it is. So we're like, oh, that's just a dream. And, but it wasn't a dream because it lasted all night. So I have never had a dream where you go to sleep and you start having the same dream. It lasts the whole night until you wake up. It's still the same dream. And I, that's never happened to me. So it, I, it wasn't a dream. So what the dream was, is I was on a spaceship. There was Lyrans there. I could see lion, lion beings in the spaceship. And I was laying on a med bed and they were changing my DNA. Now, Sylvia's body asleep was having a fever full-blown fever and I was tossing and turning and sweating and in the dream I'm in the med bed and I can hear somebody say they're changing her DNA and they were there were these beings that were watching me and they were so fascinated by me and what I was doing and it was like something that hadn't been done and so eight hours I'm dreaming the same thing. I even got up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and take Tylenol because I was burning up and to drink a lot of water. And I go back and it's the same dream. I'm still in the med bed. Nothing else is happening. I'm just laying in that bed and they're changing my DNA. And so uh, I wake up and I feel completely different. And I start seeing orbs, little sparkles of light they're everywhere. They start following me everywhere. It's a white one and a blue one. And now I have come to find out that was um, Archangel Michael and uh, Archangel Raphael. They were following me. They were escorting me to to work everywhere. I Every time, um, because I was put on investigative leave, they were, uh, internal affairs was investigating me for what, I don't know, <laughs> but they were saying that I violated having a cell phone. And so they would... Uh, call me in for three hour pops and scream at me and, and yell at me and tell me, uh, demand to see my phone. And, and it was like in the movies where, you know, they shine a light on you and they're like, where were you on the night of the fourth? And like that, but for three hours. And so the angels were there with me the whole time. 
And then they start talking to me telepathically and they start showing me numbers. So just routine things, you know, driving, you see a sign and then the number uh, 35, like it starts glowing and I feel pulled to look it up. And so they start talking to me and they tell me, we're going to talk to you this way. Look up the numbers. And they say, you can't look it up at any website. It has to be this one. And so they directed me to a, a special website. They said some of them are hijacked. And for anybody that wants to know, the website uh, was uh, Angel Numbers Sacred Scribes, if you want to look up any numbers that you're seeing. And so they said it has to be this one. And so they will start talking to me and communicating to me. And until this day, they still send me the numbers and I still go to that website. So it's been years. And uh, they started warning me before I got fired that I was going to get fired. And they were telling me, we're holding your hand tightly. We're here. Don't be scared. This is not a punishment. We're rescuing you. You've elevated to a new level. But to me, it felt like, what do you mean? My life is falling apart. How is this an elevation? This is bullshit. Like, no, I don't want it. Like, I wanted to go backwards. I wanted to cling to the marriage. I wanted to cling to the cheating husband. I wanted to cling to the horrible job that I would cry in the parking lot before I would go to work. I was so miserable. And so basically, it's like I had manifested my out. But then I was like trying to run back into the cave of the old old life, old reality. And I was resisting the new and it was a gift, but I wasn't looking at it as a gift. I thought it was a punishment. And so I say that for anybody out there that might be going through the same, it's a gift. It's not a punishment. And in hindsight, now I can see it at the time it felt horrible. And yeah, you have to grieve it. You have to let yourself feel horrible, but don't stay there. And so if I could talk to that version of me, I would tell her, luxuriate in the rest. I have been working since I was 16 years old. And, uh, you know, I'm an overgiver or recovering overgiver, I should say. And I would work myself to the bone, no breaks, no sleep, no rest, didn't nourish my body. And now I was being given a respite of like, you can rest now. You can heal now. You can detox now. You you don't have to take all those because I would have to take Benadryl to make myself fall asleep because I had to be awake to go in for a double shift and train a new rookie. And now I was being given the gift of being home on a holiday with my kid and like being the gift of sleeping. And I never had that before. And so I say celebrate, celebrate wherever you are right here right now, because you are, we are all divinely guided and protected and nothing is a mistake. Everything happens for a reason. Nothing happens by chance. Even when you don't understand it, even when it feels horrible, it always works out. So go with it because uh, suffering is created when you resist what is and suffering is optional. And now as I look back, I'm like, oh, I could have enjoyed it. And I didn't. And so uh, all, all these supernatural events start happening. So um, I have the orbs. The angels are following me now. And constantly the orbs are always with me. Um, then my kids start seeing the orbs too. And so uh, at this time, my ex is still living in the house. And uh, I see we, me and the kids start seeing UFOs. When I take them to the bus stop, broad daylight, there's a big UFO hanging over the bus stop and we're just looking at it. And I'm like, do you see that? And they're like, yeah, I see it. And like, I, we go to try to take a picture and it's gone. 
And, and so just all these weird things start happening. And uh, then I start having um, these dreams, these tsunami dreams. And my kids start having the same dreams of like people running around screaming chaos. And like, there's these huge tsunami waves. But uh, when I ask my kids, what did you see? They're saying, well, I'm standing and the waves are coming from either side, but they don't touch me. I'm just looking at them. And people are running everywhere screaming. And I have had so many clients that have told me they've had the same dream. And so uh, I'll mention another dream that I had. So I started having like um, dreams with God talking to me. And so uh, one of the dreams that I had was um, I, uh, I heard Jacob's ladder. I saw myself crawling on a huge ladder. So what it is, is I wake up, I I'm in the dream and I'm with a spirit guide a female spirit guide and she we're walking down the street we're holding hands it's a beautiful day and uh all of a sudden there's a huge storm lots of water and there's a ladder over uh the stormy water underneath and it looks really dark really cold and i can hear people screaming and running everywhere and my spirit guide is in front of me on the ladder and i'm behind her on the ladder and i'm crawling and she says it's okay even if you're scared don't stop moving, keep going forward. And she says, you can close your eyes if you want to. So throughout a lot of the dream, I'm white knuckling it across the, the ladder. And I hear Jacob's ladder. I didn't know what Jacob's ladder was. And so I'm crawling on the ladder and then I muster up the courage to open my eyes. And uh, I'm thinking I'm going to see people screaming and running around and, and water and drowning and all that. But I open my eyes and it's sunshine and it's bright and there's a rainbow and butterflies and kids are laughing and playing and there's everybody's happy and I'm somewhere else. So it's like I, I moved into a new world. And so I keep having that dream over and over and over. And it kind of matches what my kids said that they dreamt. So uh, to this day, I still have that dream. And so I looked up Jacob's Ladder. Jacob's Ladder is the, it's kind of like a bridge from the dark world to the light world. And I did not know that. And so how funny, like this is real guidance because I didn't know what Jacob's Ladder was. And so, uh, and for it to repeat itself constantly. So uh, for whoever that helps, I feel like we are in that time now. We've been on that ladder. We've been crawling on that ladder. Just keep going. Don't stop. And, uh, you know, activate your bravery, activate your courage. Just keep moving forward. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. Let them run around. Let them scream. Let them experience whatever it is they need to experience you stay on your ladder and keep moving forward. And so uh, another uh, dream that I had at that same time was uh, because I go in different places in the dream state. Uh, sometimes it's like a, a meadow, like I described with the kids laughing and all that. Sometimes it's a, it's, it's like a healing, uh, like a rehab. It looks like rehab with lots of beds. And sometimes I'm there in, the, in a healing chamber. And then this other time, I had never been here before, uh, but I dreamt that I was in the Hall of Justice and there was a lawyer that was coming to talk to me and she had these huge files and she was telling me about my ex-husband. And she said, he is on the stand right now before the committee. 
and they're deliberating what's going to happen to him. And she says, do you want to see his files? And I said, what files? Like, what are you talking about? And she says, everybody has a file. Every thought, every word, every deed, every action are recorded. So it's the Akashic Records. And she was showing me his file. And she was saying, he failed. Uh, we're going to send him back. And I don't even know what that meant. But uh, it, I saw like an eclipse. And when she said that, and um, so basically what they were showing me is that a lot of people are are before the council, so to speak. They have their Akashic record. They're deliberating. And at the time, I felt it of um, like it was a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's just uh, I believe now that I understand it is is your soul's evolution. We're all here to learn. We're all here to expand and progress. And he still had more to work on, like uh, to give a metaphor, like he hadn't graduated kindergarten. And they're like, oh, you have to repeat kindergarten. And like, it's just as simple as that. And it's just because the soul seeks to expand but he did do his job because he needed to remind me of my power, my, you know, because uh, I, I was very codependent from all the trauma and abuse that I had experienced. And uh, I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't know that I was toxic too. I blamed it all on him. It was both of us. But he helped me through the experience to see oh, I thought I needed him. I don't need him. Why did I think I needed him? Why? Because it was ingrained in me from my mom that you need a man, that you're nothing without a man. Well, no, I can choose to love you, but I don't need you. And so that's what that experience taught me. I mean, a bunch of things. It taught me a lot. But I started getting a lot of um, premonition dreams. They started happening. At the time, my guidance guided me to Dolores Cannon. I had never heard of her. And I discovered QHHT, which is quantum healing hypnosis technique. I found a video with Dolores Cannon and her daughter, Julia, and they were talking about the new earth. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff, but I knew I felt it in my gut. This is true. And, you know, truth has a vibration to it. You can feel it. So you can't deny it. You just know that, you know. And it completely resonated and it started waking me up further. And I had seen uh, images of the infinity symbol. I didn't know what it was. Turns out it's the Vesica Pisces where it's the two globes together and then they start pulling apart. And so that's what Dolores Cannon was talking about in that video where she's talking about the new earth, the bifurcation of the old world and the new world. And we all get to pick. And it's not even at a conscious level for some. It's uh, at a soul level. Your divinity, the highest version of you, is deciding, okay, how far have we progressed through initiations that life has given you? And I would like to mention at this time a, a Cloud Atlas movie quote that really... Uh, lends itself to this. So it's it says, our lives are not our own. We're bound to others, past and present. And by each crime and every kindness, we birth our future. So yeah, that's basically what she was saying, the lawyer in the in the with the Akashic records. By every crime and every kindness, you go left or you go right. So really I think that's what karma is it's just consequences it's not a punishment it's not and like there's no right or wrong you can experience whatever you want 
Um, but you will pay the consequences. You will feel what the flip of whatever you've given feels like. It will be returned to you. I myself have uh, felt it in in the smallest of ways where, uh, because a, a lot of us are here to clean up the karma and no longer repeat karma. And they call that walking without footprints. So it's like, you are not trying to create any more karma. You're cleaning it up for your lineage, for your ancestors. They couldn't do it. So you came in to clean it up and the cycles and the, the karmic cycles, no more looping. We're not, you know, the trauma ends with me. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to beat my kids. I'm not going to sexually abuse my kids nobody will experience what what all my ancestors experienced so it ends with me and so i have experienced that with um like for instance uh i was the 911 operator answering the calls and then i became the one calling 911 asking for help and it, it it's like the flip of everything and so in, in a lot of ways like with the the husband that i divorced because he cheated so much he brought out this really insecure part of me that was very jealous. Everything he did, I micromanaged because every my my entire nervous system knew he was cheating, even though he would gaslight me and say he wasn't. And so I was very jealous. And I thought, oh, this is who I am. That's how I am. And then comes another relationship where he's the jealous one and I'm not jealous. And I thought, oh, wow, I wonder if this is how my ex felt when when i would micromanage him and uh, you know scrutinize every little thing that he did because it feels horrible and i don't like this and so i i feel like we do that and and if you're not consciously aware of it it, it it can just miss you but the goal is to be aware and reflect and oh that's why this happened and that's why that happened and i do not want to propel that anymore i don't want to perpetuate that behavior anymore because i don't want it to come back to me and so if you look throughout your life, I invite you to look and reflect of where you have experienced both sides of the coin, because we all do at one point or another, whether you're aware of it or not, it's still going to come. So uh, one of the scariest things, the supernatural things that happened to me was right before I discovered Dolores Cannon, I, uh, my abilities were were amplifying and I didn't know that the, of what I could do. So one night I'm asleep. And these beings come into my room. They're standing at the door of my bedroom. And I didn't know that I could see through my third eye or I had forgotten that I could because I had been dormant for so long and it came back. And these beings are standing at, uh, at my doorway. And immediately I wake up because I can sense there's other energy in the room. They didn't know that I could see them. And they were trying to sneak up on me. And there was three, it felt like male energy. They were very tall. They were wearing like the outfit that Iron Man wears. And, but it was all black with, with a helmet, all black. And they were standing, just watching me. And this went on for days. They didn't do anything. They just stood there. And I thought, well, maybe it's my spirit guides. Maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's angels. Like I didn't know what it was. And I thought, oh, if I'm not scared, that means they're good guys. Because I thought if they're bad, I'm going to be scared. Well, no, I'm just brave. I didn't know that that they were good. And so I just left it alone because they weren't doing anything to me. Fine, I, I got to go to sleep. So I would go to sleep. This went on and on. Fast forward for a year. 
They started touching me. They started poking me when I was asleep. It felt like a poke or, or a pinch. I don't know if they were taking like DNA from me in hindsight. At the time, it just felt like they were messing with me and they wouldn't let me sleep. And I'm a very light sleeper. And I would tell them, leave me alone. They would not leave me alone. It got to the point where I was terrified to go to sleep because I knew they were going to come and mess with me and I didn't know how to stop it. And so I felt very alone. I didn't know who to talk to. And so I just suffered in silence. The worst that it got was uh, one day I was home alone and I was so tired. I took Benadryl so I could fall asleep because I was terrified to see those beings. And I knew they were going to come in, but I thought I need sleep. My body desperately needs sleep. So I went to sleep and sure enough, they came in. And this was the worst. It had been a year of them messing with me. They were straddling me. They were on top of me, behind me, all around me. And they were drilling in my brain. I could feel the whole bed shake. And they had paralyzed me. I couldn't move. And I was completely terrified. I couldn't scream. There was nobody home anyway. But just the tears would run down my face. And I, I was thinking, what can I do? What can I do? How can I get out of this? And so I think, well, I can pray. I can pray in my mind. And I had already like uh, thought, I had already surrendered to the situation of like, I'm going to die. I guess I'm going to die. And so I start praying to God. And because I grew up Catholic with the catechism, I was always taught that worshiping anything or anyone other than God is blasphemous. And it's only God, nobody else. So I didn't have a relationship with Christ. I didn't know anything about Christ. And something in me knew to call Christ. So I prayed to God. I prayed to Christ and Archangel Michael. And as soon as I said, please help me. As soon as the words came out of my mouth, well, not my mouth, my mind, everything stopped. The torture from an entire year just vanished. They left, everything left, everything stopped. And I thought, how could just praying stop that? And that brought me to create a relationship with Christ because I had never known anything about it. And uh, Christ came to me. Uh, I It felt like energy coming out of my heart chakra. And so it wasn't anything outside of me. It was coming from inside of me. And I didn't know what was happening. It felt like a flower blooming. And that energy was coming to me. And like, I know when I'm in the presence of God or Christ, because it's, overwhelming love like if you're overflowing like if the cup is just running over and and it's a pure love where it's so much your body can't contain it and so like I just start sobbing because it's so much love and I can't handle it and so that's how I know it's the presence of Christ or God or or Mother Mary and uh a video that Dolores Cannon has where she's talking about Mother Mary uh, coming to tell her about the new earth. And she says, um, she has a woman that she's interviewing that channels Mother Mary and she tells her uh, about the splitting worlds. And she says that she sees two worlds. She sees the old world, the old earth, where her sisters are lamenting her death and saying, oh, poor thing. She, she, she died believing in that silly nonsense. And so they're thinking she's crazy, but she's dead in their world. And then the new earth 
where it's again the meadow the the flowers the children playing and this lady is there on the new earth and she is thinking in her world her sisters died and they're not there and they died believing what they believe and so they're both alive it's two different timelines but one of them is dark and one of them is light and one of them is free and one of them is constricted this is the victim mindset this is the sovereign where you're empowered and you take full responsibility full accountability for your power and what is your power you have the power of choice in every moment you can choose how you respond how you think how how you move right and and that it's right under your nose, but that is the power. It's as simple and as huge as that. So that's the good news and the bad news because you can stop, you can change, you can be different. You can go complete 180 another way. And that's exciting and terrifying at the same time. So uh, yeah, I would like to uh, open up to see if you have any questions because I feel like I talked a lot. That's okay. I really enjoyed your story. So there's so, so many things I want to ask you. I want to kind of back up a little bit and talk about childhood. Do you believe that many of us, um, especially maybe us who are destined to wake up in this lifetime, that we choose these really hard childhoods? Yes, yes. Because and and I can reframe it with the the law enforcement spin. So uh, like when you're when when an officer is going to training and they go to boot camp to the police academy, I would warn the rookie cops. I would prepare them because you know some of us have the benefit, the luxury of coming from a soft family, you know, with parents that love you, and that's a wonderful thing. But it makes you very soft and very naive. So somebody like me that comes from the street that has experienced horrific things as a baby, I feel like a soldier. I I know how to respond, how to act. I know how the dark moves, but the soft person doesn't. So I would mentally prepare them. I would give them the benefit of my wisdom and say, look, it, it, it's not real. You know, they're just doing their job. They're weeding out the weak because you will become uh, a liability for the department, for yourself, for your fellow officers. You can get yourself killed. You can get other cops killed. You can get the citizens killed. So you have to be prepared to do what you got to do to do your job, much like a light worker. You're a warrior. You're a soldier for the light. And uh, you have to be incorruptible. At least that's the invitation and integrity is your protection because that's been an ongoing theme throughout my whole life where I now I'm conscious of the initiations before I wasn't. I remember when, you know how they say a new level, new devil. Mm -hmm. The game requires more of you. It requires uh, an elevated, expanded version of you. And it wouldn't be a challenge if it wasn't hard. So, and that's how you expand. Like think of it working out at a gym. Well, you need to start increasing your weights, even if it's by five pounds, it, that's an increase because that's how you build muscle. That's how you build strength. That's how you build resilience. And my parents were my boot camp and they taught me uh, how to deal with people like that. And unbeknownst to me, I was being prepared to go into a very dark world 
such as law enforcement and on the border with a lot of corruptions. I saw a lot of uh, cops get arrested because they were corrupt. And I mean, we're human, we're fallible. We all uh, are, are, we can be weak at times and you can be corrupted. So that is the challenge to come into the darkest density and run back to God as fast as you can. Run back to the real you as fast as you can. And like, this isn't me. This isn't me. That's my mom's belief. That's my dad's belief. That's not my trauma. Because for a long time, I carried the shame of the responsibility of it's my fault that my dad uh, molested me because my mom treated me like the other woman as a kid. And she was very jealous and angry with me and she would beat me. But she, I could feel her envy that I had my dad's attention, that my dad wanted me and not her. And I don't even think she was conscious of it. It was subconscious. But so I took the shame on, I took on the guilt of like, oh, well, if I wasn't, if I didn't make my dad molest me, if I didn't make him rape me, no, it's him. It's his shame. It's his guilt. But I carried it for them. And I learned, I call it janitor fish. If you've ever had a fish tank, there's these little fish that swim at the bottom. They look like tiny sharks and they suck up all the, the, what do you call it? The waste of the other fish at the top. They eat it and they alchemize the water for the other fish. And some of us, me included, are alchemists and we collect dark energy and we transmute it and we alchemize it for the greater good that but then that requires you have to take care of yourself I had to learn to fill my own cup I didn't know how to do that I didn't know how to put myself first I didn't know how to care for my body I didn't know how to say no and I had to teach myself and now from the benefit of my wisdom that is my life purpose to share that to give others strength and to be a protector because nobody protected Sylvia. So I protected Sylvia. And now when I see injustice or another child getting hurt or raped, I step in, no, you're not gonna do that here. Mm -hmm. And I believe there's billions of us and we're all dispersed like Christmas lights on a Christmas tree everywhere. And sometimes it's lonely because you feel like you're the only one and thank God for the internet because now we're all coming together. Our tribe is coming together and we're uh, coming back home to each other and to ourselves. And uh, we are bridging that gap and making a, a the new earth, the new world. We're conduits. I know I receive energy when the solar flares come in, when the energies are coming in and we're being blessed right now. I receive them before other people receive them. And the more work you've done on yourself, meaning the more um, density that you've cleared consciously, you create more room to receive more light. Some of us can hold a lot of light. And then because your field is huge and anytime you interact with your neighbors, with when you're at the grocery store, when you're at the bank, when you're with your ex, whoever, wherever, you are constantly giving these codes out and you don't have to be conscious of it. I'm conscious of it. I know I'm doing it. And so now I consciously do it. When I go to the grocery store, I send love to everybody there. I send healing and I whisper to them, wake up, wake up. And you can do this too. And if and with conscious intention, it's a thousand times more powerful. So I invite you to go spread your light and, and empower yourself. And if you have a message to share, please share it. It's time to come out. 
I was dragged kicking and screaming to YouTube. I did not want to. I'm a very private person. And I was told you have to speak publicly. People have to hear your voice. They have to see your face. And uh, I tried to hide and I did not want to come out. But um, here I am. I'm doing it. So I invite everybody to activate their bravery and their courage and to speak up because we forget even me. Uh, watching one of your videos, it reminded me and it activates me and it wakes me up like an alarm clock of like, remember who you re really are. This is an illusion, like that clip from the movie Divergent. This isn't real. Mm -hmm. And and then when she taps the glass, everything breaks and, and she's free. And that's how it is. It's a simulation. It's a hologram. It's not real, but it feels real. Just like when you're in a nightmare and you think, oh, the monster's going to get me. And then you wake up and you're thought, oh, it was just a dream. It wasn't even real. Mm -hmm. So uh, I feel like we do that to each other. We remind each other For and we sure. need it. We need each other because uh, I can't reach my back, but you can and, <laughs> and you help me and I help you and we give it to each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I do want to ask you regarding these near-death experiences. Did you have any um, awareness of being on the other side or or meeting God or angels or anything, or was it just kind of like lights out and then you wake up and you're on another timeline? Yes, it was I lights out, wake up in another timeline because I am in those realms all the time. So for me, when I go to sleep, I'm on the other side. So I'm okay. constantly on the other side. So I believe that's why it wasn't necessary because I'm always there anyway. Sure. And now I, I just want to say that back then was before the harmonic convergence. Actually, I, when I fell 30 feet and died that second time, that's when the harmonic convergence happened in 1987. And after that, now we no longer need to die to get a walk-in. So a lot of people are getting walk-ins right now. Could and you so explain you, for the viewers who may not be familiar with uh, harmonic conversion and just so, kind of explain what that's about? I, I'm going to paraphrase because I'm okay. probably going to butcher it. So basically the harmonic convergence is an alignment of uh, planets and energy where uh, if you think, I mean, some people believe in astrology, some people don't. But again, some things don't need your permission for it to be real. So uh, picture the uh, the the planets, right? And and it's like the sun is in the middle and the planets are around the sun. And so they're rotating like a clock, right? Everything's rotating like a clock. And you're not going to be at the same spot where you were born. We're not even in the same universe anymore because uh, Sagittarius, I believe it's the 26th degrees, the galactic center. And we are at the galactic center and we're turning that way. And we we are, are traversing the old world that we've been in and we're going into a new world. So at that time, we were closer to that. To uh, Because everything has a plan. Everything is divinely orchestrated. And even when you think it's horrible, it's actually a blessing, like I was saying mm -hmm. before. So it, there's a method to the madness. And so at that time, that just means an influx of more light because, uh, and even now there's tons of light, tons of love. There's more love than there's ever been, even though it doesn't look like it, because uh, even the, the act of washing your hands with soap and removing the bacteria or the dirt or the germs, that's destruction. Washing your hands is an act of destruction, but then it reveals purity it's clean it's a good thing but 
to the bacteria it's not that's being washed away so basically energetically that's what's happening the water's coming in it's purifying everything because destruction precedes creation to get the creation what's that song lyric that every end is another beginnings or every beginning is another beginnings end and so basically it's infinite right it just keeps going so you think it's over it's gone it's dead no it's just a new thing it's reinvented it's bigger, it's better. Even if you shared that, because I was going to ask next, you talked about everything in your life kind of falling apart when you were launched into this spiritual awakening. And you just spoke about that now, right? Destruction. And then we can build a new, do you think that that's a pretty common theme amongst spiritual awakenings and, um, amongst the collective awakening as in what is happening on this planet right now. I know a lot of people who don't really understand the bigger scheme of things think it's getting crazy. In my mind, it's actually a beautiful thing because I know what's on the other side of this. And it's like, this stuff just has to come up. We have to go through this. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So basically, like I said before, is I feel the energy, uh, because some of us are pre-waivers because, you know, the the saying is healer, heal thyself. So I had to heal myself because I'm I'm of no use to anybody if I'm not healed. So say if I'm covered in mud, well, how am I gonna help you clean off your mud if I'm covered in mud? I'm just gonna get my mud on your mud. Mm -hmm. And so basically healing myself, and I mean, it's an ongoing thing, you're never done. So you, you're never going to arrive and you're completely healed. It's a work in progress. And that's why I say we lift each other up because uh, I heal you. And then, and then I need your healing and you're up, you're above me and you help me get up there. And then I'm above you and I help you get up there. And, and it's just ongoing and it's expansion. And that's how it works. It's a team effort. You can't do it alone. There's a lot of times when you feel like you're alone, but basically I say that pre-waving thing because a lot of us feel it first. And so I've noticed the theme in my life where I experience something really difficult and I come out of it on my own. And then I have wisdom because what's wisdom? It's embodied knowledge that you experience. And now you have the cheat codes to give to somebody else of like, hey, there's a hole right there go around because you're going to fall in that hole and giving them the benefit of my experience. Now, what I had to learn is to get my ego out of the way and not force them because I thought, oh, it's so simple. Just listen to me. But it's an invitation. So now I just hands open. I'm offering this to you. If you want to take this, great. If you don't, wonderful. God bless you. Bye-bye. And now I don't, I take myself out of it. I'm just the messenger. I'm just the mailman. Here you go. If you want it, great. If you want to set fire to it, great. And now I just don't hang on and I just move on to the next person because I feel like this is a moment of triage. Like, you know, those old war movies of like Gone with the Wind where the women are like tending to the soldiers that are wounded. You have to keep it moving. In triage, you can't spend too long on one person because if they are resisting the help, you got to move on to the next because we don't have time to wait. So now it's like, uh, it's at a soul level. Like I said, it's not even consciously like, oh, is my husband going to wake up? Because that's what I thought when I was ex- going through the QHHT training, the hypnosis training with Dolores Cannon, the, what drove me was healing, fixing my ex-husband. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get him to wake up. He's my twin flame. He forgot, blah, blah, blah. Well, 
I didn't know that it was a dangling pork chop that was going to guide me to do something that normally I would be like, I don't care. I don't care about QHHT. I'm not going to go through all that training and do all that. But the hunger to help him, to help myself, to help my family, even though it was super toxic, it got me, it, it, it fueled the desire to, I'm going to crack this, I'm going to fix this. And I did it. I thought, oh, we're going to be one big happy family after this. And he's going to be healed and he's going to remember and he's going to wake up. He didn't. <laughs> he didn't. But the journey, you know, they say it's not the destination, it's the journey. So what I learned through that journey, I learned so much. I met so many beautiful, amazing people. I fell in love with, with QHHT and, and the hypnosis. I learned about all these new modalities that I didn't even know existed. And I healed myself. I healed my family. I healed my my ancestors, my mom, my grandma, my great grandma. And I started seeing the patterns. I amplified my abilities and I started doing sessions on at first, because remember, I had lost all my friends. Nobody would talk to me. I had been fired from the job and I was in a new world now. And I was hungry for knowledge, for information. And I was learning the QHHT. So I didn't have any friends because uh, they were all cops and they didn't talk to me. And so now, uh, you know, they say necessity is a mother of invention. I had to, in order to train, you have to do your clinicals and you have to have a, a certain number of sessions that you do for free to train yourself. Mm -hmm. And uh, you have to document them and submit them for certification. And that's what I was doing. And so I started doing sessions on my kids and on my kids' friends. Oh my God, kids are fascinating because they're pure and they don't know all this woo-woo stuff. So like when an adult says it, Eh, well, maybe they heard it somewhere in a video or or a show. But when a child says it and they use their baby words to describe chakras or all <laughs> these, you know, elevated concepts that babies don't know, that fascinates me. And my son started, um, he was 10 years old and he started predicting things. And some people go to past lives and but he would never go to a past life. He would go straight to God. And I would ask him, well, how do you know it's God? And he would describe that he would see this huge being sitting in a golden throne. And he would say, because it, I feel like they're very important. And it feels like when I'm in trouble at the principal's office, that's how he described the energy. And I thought that was so fascinating. And then he started predicting things. And uh, I did a session with him in January and of 2018. And I say, well, is there anything that God wants me to know? And he says, God says that I can't tell you everything. Some things are a surprise, but I I am he's he's saying don't be scared. Everything's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And and then so I'm just taking notes, writing down things what he's saying. I'm like, yeah, whatever. He, I'm just writing what he's saying just to write it. And he says August 22nd of 2018. And I write it down and I said what's going to happen on August 22nd? He says he's sending you a friendly face. He's sending you a friendly face to uh to soothe you and but don't be scared everything's gonna be okay and he says i see the color green dark green and so i think i don't know what that means but i wrote it down well come august 21st not 22nd uh there's a knock at the door and it's a cop i used to work with and his uniform is green 
And he says, Sylvia, I'm so sorry, you've been served. And he gives me divorce papers from my ex. And that was my son's premonition. Everything's going to be okay. And so we are all connected to the same energy. It all runs through us. If you think you don't have abilities, you do. But they come in a whisper. And the more you listen, the more you'll get. Because it's just you telling you. It's not this outside thing. It's you. It's the greater version of, of Sylvia. It's the greater version of Christine. It's it's you. So there's nothing scary. It's not karma or, or, you know, things like that. It's you. It's you calling you out on your own bullshit. It's you calling you to a higher octave of yourself because that's what we came for. Like when you go to kindergarten, your dream isn't to stay in kindergarten for 20 years. You want to get the hell out of there. You want to go, okay, I want to go to first grade. Now I want to go to high school. Now I want to go to college. And that's the fun part, but it's also the scary part. I love that. I have one question that I love to ask my guests. It's a a big question, but everyone kind of has a different spin on it. But I'd love to know what you believe our purpose is here on earth. Why do we come here? I feel like it's just experience. Like there's no good or bad. So if you, using the metaphor of a buffet, right? So some people are more adventurous than others. Some people like weird different foods like squid or kangaroo and other people just want chicken nuggets or or vegan there's no wrong thing how can i be mad at you for not liking tacos what the hell do i care okay she doesn't she's not hungry she doesn't want to eat it but i feel like we're trained to force feed people things that they don't like and then take it personally because you don't like tacos Mm -hmm. how is that bad for me it's your body it's your palate. It's your cravings. If you love chocolate, great. And and so I feel like we've been um, from our trauma uh, because of my parents judging me and criticizing me and telling me that I'm wrong all the time. It's like I I I took it in, and then it's like we we vomit that out on other people and our relationships. You know, they say you you hurt. You always hurt the ones you love the most. Well, you don't have to, but it's because they trigger you because you equate it to your mom, to your dad, to whoever raised you. And you think uh, it, it gives you like that PTSD of love. And and it's not love, though. You got to clean it up. And, and what is love? Compassion. It's being brave and like being vulnerable and transparent. So that's the bravest thing you can do is love. And And there's no limit to love. I think love and God are the same thing. I feel like it's the same energy because if you think about it, love can turn enemies into best friends is the only, it's like water. It permeates everything mm-hmm. and and it doesn't do it by force. It just erodes it softly and you don't even notice that it's happening. It's like carbon dioxide or carbon monoxide. Like you don't smell it. You're not aware of it and it's soothing. So it heals, but it can take your life right? Like mother nature, like it, it, it heals you, but it can kill you too. So I, I feel like we're here to balance, you know, like Christ says, be of the, be in the world, but not of the world. Mm-hmm. So y- you're constantly being called to, to balance both energies because it's like, it's not that the, the dark is bad or the, or the light is better, but having both of them, because, you know, a lot of people are like, kill the ego. Well, my ego is what got me here. So I'm grateful to my ego. But now I know 
that I'm not going to let my ego or my wounded child drive the car. So I, I am in the passenger seat because before I used to be drunk on my ego and think I'm going to manifest, I'm going to manifest this guy and he's going to come back to me and it has to be him and it has to be this job. And like just uh, very attached to the outcome of I think I know more than God. And now I've realized, oh, that didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> and so now I'm in the passenger seat co-creating with my divinity, the highest version of me. And in the back seat is my ego and my wounded child. Because yes, I love you. Thank you for telling me. I need you. You're important, but you're not driving. You're going to sit back there. And if I need you, I'll call you and, and I'll take whatever you say under advisement. But my divinity and me are co-creating. We're doing it together, kind of like in a marriage. It's not all what the wife wants. It's not all what the husband wants. It's both. Mm -hmm. Both of us, we both get to be happy. And and that's the new world. Reciprocity, win-win. Everybody gets their needs met in a healthy way. And nobody's getting cheated. Nobody has more than the other person. We're all equal. We all get what we need. And, and there's no imbalance because really you can drown yourself by drinking too much water. Too much of anything can hurt you. So too much sugar, diabetes right? So it's everything in moderation, but balance. So uh, that's what I've been learning is look at my life and where is there an imbalance and, and bringing it to the middle, walking that fine line of neutrality, detached neutrality. And, and I feel like right now that will really help people is being in, in detached, neutral observation of just watching and I, I think that we're very like trigger happy with the label gun of like, oh, that's bad. Oh, that's good. And, and like labeling everything because we're so PTSD from the old world. Well, you're not there anymore. We're leaving. Those rules aren't don't apply anymore because you're not in kindergarten anymore. And and that's no shade to the people that want to stay in kindergarten. I, I have a, a quote from a movie that I would like to share that. Um, came up in meditation for me today. So uh, I was guided to watch the movie because I get a lot of messages from movies and I was guided to watch uh, a movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, oh my God. Now the name of the movie has left my mind where, where it's about the dreams. <clears throat> I can't remember the name of the movie. So yeah, I'm not sure. Hopefully it'll come to me. <laughs> Inception. Ah, okay. I'm glad I remembered. Okay. So this quote at the beginning of the movie, he says, what is the most resilient parasite? Bacteria, a virus, an intestinal worm, an idea. An idea is the most resilient parasite. Resilient, highly contagious. Once an idea has taken hold of the brain, it is almost impossible to eradicate. An idea that is fully formed, fully understood, that sticks right in here somewhere, Train your subconscious to defend itself against any idea that you don't want. And what's an idea? A belief. And training your subconscious to defend itself against any belief that you don't want. What does that mean? That means being aware, being conscious. It means you're at the driver's seat and you're watching. And if somebody says something, you don't automatically agree with them, whether it be the news, the TV, your neighbor complaining about something. 
you know, uh, TikTok saying that oh, all men are trash. That's not true. Well, it can be true if you shake hands with it, if you agree with it, but it's an idea. And what's it? What's a belief, a repeated idea over and over that you keep saying to yourself. And then all of a sudden it sticks to you and it grows. So I, I feel like, you know, they say World War Three is a spiritual war. It's in the mind. And uh, if you think back to the time of Hitler, it all started with an idea. And then it spreads to other people of, you know, hating another race, hating another gender. And and then we're all at war with each other. And that's what that energy seeks to divide. Because when you're alone, like my dad, when he was abusing us, he didn't want the neighbors knowing what was happening. So he had to keep us isolated, alone, and thinking this is normal. It's not normal. Thank you. I love that quote. Um, before we start to wrap it up, what is one last message of hope or encouragement or anything that you'd like to share with the viewers? Uh, to remember that you have the power of choice. I remember back to when I was 18 and I didn't know that I could leave. I didn't know that I was in control, that I paid the rent on the apartment, that I paid all the bills, that I can open the door and just walk out. It, picture the eight of swords in the tarot where the girl is is uh, with a blindfold and there's swords all around her and she has her hands tied, but it's in front of her. She could take it off and she could just walk out. So sometimes the past looks like a shiny gilded cage. You don't have to live in that cage. You can leave. And uh, there's other worlds possible. Anything is possible. Thank you. I love so that. We, we all have power and, and it starts with a decision. It's as simple as a decision. And uh, as someone who has suffered with a lot of anxiety and fear from the PTSD of the way I was traumatized as a kid, um, I have to constantly uh, talk myself up and constantly uh, monitor my vibration, my frequency. As soon as I wake up in the morning, I declare today's a great day. Today's my lucky day. I'm the luckiest person alive. I'm the most blessed person. And I constantly say it because you can literally talk yourself into anything. Because again, an idea, an idea is the most insidious thing. And so if you can talk yourself into crappy stuff, then that means the opposite is true, right? So in any situation, when I'm starting to feel depressed, like when I would get really sad of, of like me, being at odds with my ex-husband and, and, and immediately to get myself out of there, I think, okay, what's the opposite of this? What would it feel like if we were best friends? What would it feel like if we helped each other? And not in a romantic way, just in a like, hey, you're family. If you need something, I'm here. And, and not, you know, battling with swords and duking it out every second for every little thing of like, we don't have to hate each other. We don't have to be enemies we, we, but also keep in mind that if, if they're not willing to meet you in that elevated state, you do have to stay away because again, an idea, it, it's like they have this spiritual lice on them. And, and if you get close to somebody with lice, you're going to get the lice. Mm -hmm. So it's either we're both on the same page or I have to, uh, you know, love you from afar and sure. that's it. Sure. 
Thank you so much for that message. Thank you for this conversation. I'd Thank love you. for you to share uh, maybe your website, your uh, YouTube channel, how viewers may get a hold of you. Do you offer sessions? Yes, I, I do QHHT sessions, which is quantum healing hypnosis technique sessions. They're past life regression, but like I mentioned, not everybody goes into past lives. Some people go to, to the other side. They visit uh, deceased loved ones. They go to God. It, I never know. They go to other planets. I have said, I've had, I have had sessions on myself where I've gone to other planets and, um, to look at Akashic records and things. So like, we never know where you're going to go, but that's the fun part. Yes. I have not to knowing what, that. <laughs> right. Not knowing where your divinity is going to take you. And, um, I also do readings and, uh, I do photograph readings where you submit a photograph and I, I give you a reading of whatever I get, but mostly I like to share whatever information comes to me from my guidance. I share that on my YouTube channel, whatever I'm inspired to share. And there's a lot of old videos on there right now because I did have it muted while I was going through the divorce, through the trial. And I've been pulled, like I said, kicking and screaming back into the public eye. And so uh, my YouTube channel is called Sylvia's Odyssey. You can contact me at my email. It's silmolera at gmail.com, S-Y-L-M-O-L-E-R-A at gmail.com. And I would love to hear from you. I would love to work with you. And thank you for watching. Yes, and I will link all of that below in the description. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm glad that you listened to that guidance and you were dragged here, even if kicking and screaming. <laughs> but I, I know just in this short while that I've been doing this, that just from the feedback that these messages give so much hope and um, encouragement. And I believe it sparks that remembrance in us all. So we're helping the world on this path of awakening. So I sincerely appreciate you. And I'm sure we'll chat again. Yes, thank you. Bye. Thank you, Sylvia. If you have an experience you'd like to share with us, please email me at thenorthstarbroadcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in working with me one-on-one, -on -one, please visit my website at christinebhypnotherapy.com. Thank you so much for listening.